Hey, this is Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. Some call me the godfather. I call me the bare-knuckle champion. Well, maybe. We'll see. You're listening to Straight Hustling Radio. Welcome back to another edition of StraightHustling.com. Your host, Dick Darren, on the mic. We got three bizarre motherfuckers today. Myself, Money Mike, and Stu. And we have MMA legend Ken Shamrock about to join us. Mike, this is amazing. Where do we keep getting this solid guest from day in and day out? They're doing our show. What's going on? It's an ancient Chinese secret. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. It's called stalking. We're about to... Hit up Ken Shamrock with a bunch of questions here and uh, find out what's going on with him. He'll be calling in any second. Hello. Hey, Ken Shamrock. This is Ken. Oh, awesome, man. This is uh, Dick Darren with a Straight Hustling Podcast, and I got a buddy of mine, Mike, and also Stu on the on the phone. What's going on, guys? So we're just super excited to talk to you, and I kind of wanted to ask you some questions about you know some of the things you got started in your career, and then kind of talk about some of the new stuff you got going on. Sounds good, man. Right. I appreciate you guys' support. Oh, yeah, man. It's insane even to uh, have you on the phone. Excited. Are you living in Nevada now? Yeah, I live in Nevada, and um, I train out of California. All right. How's the weather in Nevada right now? Cold. Oh, is it? Oh, <laughs> Sunny yeah. and cold. A little chilly here, too. You got a birthday coming up? You got anything good planned for that? No, me and my wife are going to spend some time together. On my birthday is the 11th, and Valentine's the 14th, so kind of mix them together a little bit. Nice, nice. Man, you've had a huge fighting career. You've done a little everything. Kind of, I was going to ask you if you can kind of tell us what actually uh, got you into fighting, what got you into professional MMA. Well, when I was, I mean, a lot of people kind of understand, kind of understand where I came from. I, I didn't have much of, a, of, a, of an upbringing. I was in and out of juvenile hall, lived on the street, got stabbed, um, went into place and became a ward of the court uh, where the actual State becomes your parents, and they place you in the different homes. And I went through a lot of different homes and failed a bunch of them, and ended up at a place called the Shamrock Boys Home. And and that's where I really started to understand my value in life. Even though you know, as we travel through life, things get all muddy and unclear at times. But um, I stayed the course and got myself straightened out. Play football, sports got me through all my anger. Um, and ended up having an opportunity to um, go over to Japan and participate in what at the time called the UWF, oh, yeah. which was the very first mixed martial arts program, um, along with Pink Race. And uh, I very quickly um, used all the anger and the frustration and my aggressiveness, um, and I put it towards something that was positive, which was fighting, and really um, learned... Uh, my my style, which was the leg locks, heel hooks, things of that nature, I really adapted to those very quickly and became well-known um, throughout the fight industry and world as uh, the first guy to bring in leg locks, probably the uh, one of the best guys to um, bring in leg locks. I really mastered those. And so really that's how my opportunity uh, came around for me 
to be recognized in the world as a fighter was 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 because of my opportunity that I had gotten going over to Japan, but more than anything was the frustration and anger that I had towards life, and I was able to vent that and put it into a positive direction, and that was fighting. Man, that's an awesome story. How did you, uh, when you first got to Japan, how did you fit in with the culture and everything there? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was it was definitely different, you know, girls giggling at you and probably more afraid of you than anything else, and the men would all kind of like walk away from you and, and ignore you because they didn't know what to say or, or couldn't speak to you because of the English barrier. Sure. Um, so it was, it was a different culture when I was there. But, you know, I spent a lot of my time uh, in the dojo and really mastering um, the submission, leg submission art. Um, and because of the barrier and because of the culture where it wasn't like I could just go out or I could just go do things um, because it was hard to even get around because nothing was in English. It was all in Japanese, so we couldn't go anywhere. So I really was put basically into a boot camp, and um, that's why I developed uh, so quickly and was able to learn so fast was because I was basically thrown into this world where there was nothing else but dojo. We had uh, talked a little earlier to Boss Rootin on the phone, and he said, man, make sure you tell Ken hi, and he said he had tremendous respect for you, and I know you guys faced each other a couple times, so that was kind of cool, you know. Yeah, he's, uh, like I said, he was he was another one of those guys like myself um, who um, adapted very quickly and was, you know, um, in a short amount of time like myself, was able to do some tremendous feats, which was, you know, become the, the, the uh, king of pancreas and also be able to uh, be the champion in the UFC. So he was able to accomplish quite a bit in his career, and, and uh, he's he, and, and not and not just as a world champion, uh, but he was a good person on top of it. You guys are the ones that started everything that everybody's trying to do now. You guys are the ones the original. What was really the differences between the like the pancreas and the pride for you? Are there anything that you like better on either one of them? Well, I mean, they have their ups and downs. You know, I like the mixture of both of them. The opportunity to be able to do both when it applies. For instance, the stand-up where, you know, you could kick and knee and, and, and do all those things. But the punching was the biggest difference because when you mm-hmm. could throw a punch in pancreas, you could throw it to the body, but when it's to the head, it was open-handed. Right. Uh, in, in the UFC, you know, people wanted to punch the head when they didn't have the gloves at first and they were breaking their hands. We, I adapted a lot of my pancreas uh, style to the UFC when I was hitting guys in the stand-up, a lot of times I would also just open-hand hit them so that I didn't hurt my hand. Or on the ground when I was in a bad spot where I couldn't hit the soft tissue, uh, I would open-hand them in the head or in the ear. Um, and so I really mixed the styles up along with my stand-up because when we first went into the UFC, it was either you were a stand-up fighter or you were a ground fighter. Um, I studied both. I took Muay Thai when I was over in Japan. I fought in a Muay Thai fight, a professional Muay Thai fight. And um, so I developed my stand-up way before UFC even came around. And then when it did come around, I was the very first one that really understood the importance of stand-up and ground. I even mentioned in early my early interviews on how I believe that um, the future is the stand-up and the ground, and if you don't know both, you yeah. will not succeed. And that was back in 94. 
Oh, it's sure true today. Yeah, I remember watching that first USC, and man, that that really is uh, what really got me hooked on the sport of MMA. And wow, I was just amazing to see that live. I didn't see it live, but I saw it on pay per view, and I was like, wow, there's nothing else like this. And it was just pretty crazy, and really got me hooked onto it. Yeah, it 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 really is something special. And speaking on special, that's that's one of the reasons why. Uh, I got involved in this bare knuckle, uh, fight because I saw the opportunity. I saw people watching this stuff. I saw people looking at stuff where guys were fighting in, in, in the middle of bales of hay or on a gravel road somewhere and they did a documentary on this guy, uh, not one of the opponent that I'm fighting. And, uh, it, there's an interest there like it was in the old part in the beginning days. And so, yeah. man, I said, you know what? This is a great opportunity to be on the cutting edge of something new again. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was the spare knuckles fight coming up. And James Quinn, right? Is that who you're facing? Yeah, James Quinn. Uh, he's undefeated. Uh, he they did a actual documentary on this guy, and so he's got quite a reputation um, coming into this fight. And so for me, I thought, well, what a great opportunity with this guy's reputation and my reputation to uh, come together and um, put it on TV in a ring. Um, hexagon actually and be able to put it at a professional level instead of what we're used to seeing where it's been out on the street or in a gravel road or in between bales of hay um, and actually put it at a professional level like we did No Holes Barred um, and put it um, on TV and let people be able to see it at a level in which it should be seen. Do you guys have a date uh, currently for that right now? We don't. I know it's going to be either the end of April or sometime in May. Yeah, I saw that was around April. So I guess you're right now training and everything, training hard for it right now. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, I'm back in training. I feel great. You know, a lot of things that, um, oh, that were hindering me for quite some time is now gone. And um, my training is going very well and feel rejuvenated. You back at the Lions Den training? No, actually, I've uh, got uh, some different places that I've gone. Um, I, uh, I'm in the desk for my strength and conditioning and in San Diego, I'll be there for three months for my sparring. USC 9, you had a gap when USC, where you were USC 9 and then you went to USC 40. Was there a lot that changed during that time or was it pretty much the same when you came back? I know the people have no, changed. No, it, it changed a lot. Yeah. I mean, um, you you, you, the, the skill sets and the training and, diet and cutting weight and the biggest thing to me the biggest change to me was that the the it was so scientific on how guys were cutting weight mm. i mean i was seeing guys come in there and they were cutting 30 pounds 35 pounds uh and then fighting uh putting that 25 pounds back on so you were fighting guys that were you know, supposed to be at 205, they were at 230 oh, yeah. uh, by fight night. So uh, that was really the biggest change for me. Um, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't understand it because I, I cut weight. It's the first time I ever cut weight when I came back to fight Tito. Mm, yeah. And I remember I dropped down 200 pounds because I had to make 205, which I've never had to make a weight before. And when I did that, I lost a lot of weight and quite a bit of strength. And... um and then when I saw what Keto was doing, I mean, I mean, it was incredible because he went down to 205 pounds, um, and then the next day he put back on 20, 25 pounds. And by fight night, he was a different guy. And I was looking at him going, this guy's a heavyweight. How in the world did he do that? 
That's you know, insane. and I just didn't, I didn't understand it, you know, I mean, because for me, we just fought what we fought at, and that was yeah. that. Yeah. And now we had all these weights and stuff, and these guys were, you know, got, had doctors and, 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 and uh, putting bags in them to, to rehydrate and all the things that I know now. I was like, you know, I was so out of the loop on that, man. I was so caveman day when I was <laughs> trying to fight these guys. I didn't understand all the stuff that went into what, uh, cutting weight and putting weight back on. Yeah. You didn't worry about it back then. You were fighting anybody anyway. You didn't care. Now it's a, no, now it's but when I had to lose weight, it really, it, it was a yeah. disadvantage for me. Sure. Because I didn't understand, um, what was going on. So I just cut the weight figuring that they were all going to do the same thing. And, you know, uh, they were a lot farther ahead of the game than I was when it came to cutting weight. Yeah, man, they recouped that the next day. That's insane, that much weight. What about, yeah, uh, it really was. What about, uh, do you have a fight that really sticks in your head that's like one of your favorite fights of all time that you're in, one of your most memorable ones? Well, I would probably have to say, you know, two of them. One where I captured the very first Hank Grace belt. I fought a tournament for six months. Um, oh, won all my fights and then it qualified me to be in the Eye of the Tiger tournament. Uh, which was another 16-man tournament. We It was for two days. Fought guys from all over the world. And I ended up winning that to become the very first mixed martial arts um, champion in Japan. And then um, being able to, um, before when they were just doing the tournaments and they were handing out tournament belts, um, we did the very first single fight belt tournament, the very first single fight. And I remember beating Hoist Grace up beating Horace Gracie up and um, <laughs> yeah. and then not even being awarded the win because they didn't have judges even though they carried him out of the ring and I didn't get awarded the win but yet they still put the belt on me. Oh, um, wow. So I carried the belt from that point on and Horace Gracie left the UFC at that time. Wow, that's amazing. Who was like the toughest opponent you think you ever had to go up against? Um, I know you had some tough ones. <laughs> You know, there's really not one you could look at and go, you know, that was probably my toughest. I just think that all of them have presented, because if you remember, um, if you follow my career very closely, I fought number four on the card my very first time out, and I won. I beat a guy. The next time I fought, I fought main event and semi-main event my whole career. There was never a time where I fought below semi or main event. Yeah. So I was fighting guys from the time that I walked into the ring till I till till even today, of fighting guys that were contending for a world championship, guys that had earned the right to be able to fight for a world title. So all of the guys that I fought were all very, very difficult and very different types of fighters. You guys were strong and tough and wouldn't quit, and you got guys that were very technical and in great shape and. And a great game plan, and there's just so many different different ways of being tough. Did you have a time where you didn't you didn't really have a game plan? It was just you were going to go in there and impose your will, and then as you went down, and and people started to get in uh, tr- different training and things like that, where it actually was a big key part of your fighting style, or did you always have a good game plan and knew what you were going to do when you went in? No, when I was over in Japan, my first couple of fights, I was just flying by the seat of my pants. I mean, I just jumped in there and was just being a tough guy. Yeah. You know, I trained for it. I learned my submissions, but I, but at that time, I didn't have an understanding of the chess game, you know, like, 
you know, find an opponent's weakness and his strength, and then you, you know, you attack it from that point, knowing strengths and weaknesses. But that didn't really start in until probably after the six to seven fights where I started learning, you know, how to really go after somebody's weakness or go after somebody's strengths where you could put them in checkmate so that they couldn't win the fight and wait for them to make a mistake or to just go ahead and attack their weakness, um, just depending on what kind of fighter they were. So it was just a, it was really a, a learning experience for me. There was really nowhere for me to train at. Um, when I was in the States, because I'd go fight for a month, I'd stay in Japan, and then the next month I would fight, and then I would go home for a month, and then I'd come back and fight and stay. So it was on and off being in Japan. But when I was in the U.S., there was nowhere to train. I mean, you didn't have this back in 89, 90, right. where you could go in there and take a kickboxer down and work on the ground and, and try to work your submissions or to stand up and, and have a guy strike at you while someone tries to take you down and try to defend the takedown. There was none of that. It was either stand up or ground. And so I had to develop a lot of that style by bringing different people in and tried to work with them and, 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 and help train them to do what I did. So that I had people to train with, but that took me three years to do that. Um, and to, to get anybody that would be able to at least help me uh, get prepared for fights. So it was a long process, and uh, I think it's hard for people to really understand that when there's nothing around and nobody around for you to try to prepare yourself for that kind of fighting, it's almost like you just got to go over there and hope for the best and, just, mm. you know, be a tough guy and do your best until you can stay and train with them. Yeah, now now it seems like there are gyms everywhere thanks to, you know, guys like you that did it all and got now there's so much interest that man people are starting really young nowadays. Yeah, you got kids that have been doing it since they were five years old. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anybody right now that you currently like really look forward to watch on their fighting? Kind of someone that really like you think's exciting and you don't want to miss any of their fights? Well, I mean there's several guys, but um just offhand right now because it's coming up and I really enjoy watch Silva and um and Diaz, oh, man, yeah. that's going to be a great fight. That's going to be an awesome one, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to try to throw you a question on, like, how did you get started in professional wrestling, and did you enjoy that? I did. Uh, it was entertaining. Um, at first, I wasn't sure, but I figured I would give it a shot. See, you know, uh, while I had taken some time away from MMA, because it was really wasn't uh, doing very well, and they were taking enough pay for you, and, I wasn't able to make the money I needed to make to support my family, so I had to make a decision on doing something else for a while. And so pro wrestling was it. And they thought, well, in pro wrestling, maybe I could still work on my my skills, my skill sets while I was pro wrestling and being able to take the style and bring it into pro wrestling. And I wasn't sure how it would work out, but when I got there and, um, and talked with Vince and, and, and uh, some of the guys that were the matchmakers and writing the storylines, uh, we were able to incorporate a lot of, not a lot, but all of who I was yeah. and what I was about. And, uh, it really, in my opinion, uh, when I look at pro wrestling before Ken Shamrock and now after Ken Shamrock, I really believe that my thumbprint is all over it. Yeah, they do a lot of that stuff now. I think you did bring a lot of that, uh, yeah. a lot of that mixed martial arts stuff to it. Is there any, uh, what do you think about some of the pro fight, uh, the pro wrestlers that are making the transition over to USC, kind of like the Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, CM Punk? They know what they're I think getting it's into. Great. Yeah. I think it's awesome because I think um, it shows character. It shows people who are not just satisfied with where they're at. They're always looking to strive to be better and be something better. 
And a lot of people in life, we, I think we get too content uh, with where we're at and we just get satisfied with where we're at and then pretty soon life becomes boring or, or not quite what we expected to be or, or we become disappointed because we didn't achieve what we really wanted to achieve. We, we, we got complacent. And I think we see guys like CM Punk and, and, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar and Lashley and these guys, my hat's off to them because they're not, they could have stayed in pro wrestling and yeah. they could have made a lot of money and they could have been superstars and no one would have said anything different. But they, they took risks. They jumped out into something to see, to test themselves, to find out what they really had. They want to know who they are and they want to know what, what or if they can compete uh, in, in the USC or, or in No Holds Barred. And to me, I think that's commendable. Um, and I know that a lot of these guys, especially CM Punk now, is getting a lot of criticism, and I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. I mean, I don't know too many people that would have a set career and be completely, you know, really set in life with money and fame and all the things that he has that most people strive to get and put it on the line to yeah. go do something that's real because he wants to test himself. Yeah, I don't think I think most people can't understand it because how many people actually get to that level in any professional sport to be at that top of the game with everybody? I mean, it's there's only a few people that can make that. You know yourself. You, you know you got to have that drive and that it's about succeeding, and you're always wanting to be the best and do the extra. And I think you know a lot of people they just don't understand that. So when he's trying to leave this leave this wrestling thing and go say, hey, I could be the toughest. Toughest mother in uh, MMA, you know, I guess people just don't understand it. Well, and to me, it's like um, you got to give props and you got to give credit because yeah. um, this guy's putting it on the line. Who, yep. out of anybody that's doing this, who has the most to lose? He yep. does, and he's putting it on the line. So, man, I, I give him all kinds of credit nice. for doing just jumping out and wanting to test himself. You got any pro wrestlers that you'd like to take in the ring on an MMA fight? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different guys I think that would, would be interesting and fun to go in with. And I also believe that there's a lot of them there that, um, could do MMA if they just set their mind to it. We've already seen a few guys already make those transitions and have been successful at it. Um, in fact, is I don't know if we know any of them that have actually made a transition and it's failed, do we? Yeah, I think right. Lashley <laughs> and Brock. Rock, yeah. I'm with the only two that I know that did it, and they were successful. Yeah, Brock was um, a beast, man. CM Punk's doing it. Um, we don't know what the you know what the outcome of that is, but but from what everything that I know, I think those are the only two that really step out at a level like that and put themselves on the line, and they both succeeded. Yeah, how was that on your uh, the wrestling the pro wrestling stuff? Was that I assume that's kind of hard on your body, right? Did that do take any tolls with any injuries for you? Yeah, it was a lot harder for me than actual MMA training because there's a lot of travel, a lot of time on the road. You know, you don't get to train sometimes because you're constantly flying somewhere or driving somewhere, and you've got to get your meals in and your rest in, and then you got to make sure you get to the arena early enough to be able to go over what it is you're doing. And it just seems like your days run into nights and nights into days, and if you're not careful, man, you don't. You don't get the training in that you need, so mm. it was a tough schedule. There's no question. Yeah. All right. What about? Um, are you still doing? Uh, we saw some stuff online. The Lions Den Ministries. Are you still doing that? Is that pretty active? Yeah. In fact, actually, this weekend, um, 
I'm uh, going to be at the Innovation Church in Stockton, California. Uh, and I'm also going to be speaking, speaking to some youth um, uh, next weekend. So um, I do that quite a bit. It's my passion. Uh, and I have a ministry, Lions in Ministry, which is a nonprofit organization that we go out and we, we help at-risk kids. Um, and so it's kind of something that uh, that all the things that I do, I mean, and all the stuff that comes in, that, that's the plan is to be able to uh, build homes um, yeah. for these at-risk kids. And that, I believe, in the future we will be doing. So when Frank Shamrock comes to talk, or I'm sorry, Ken Shamrock, I'm sorry. When you come to talk to I these, know, same family. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> when you come to talk to these kids, they like freak out. This is Ken Shamrock. I think I would freak out. I'm like, oh wow, he's right here. Well, that's the great thing about the position that I'm in is that I was one of those kids. I know what they're thinking. I know what they're going through. And I'm able to speak to them. And I'm able to speak their language. And because I am who I am. That I've already cut through all the, the the red tape and the distrust and and who are you and, and who are you to be standing here talking to me about uh, what it is and I'm feeling and doing. Um, I get to cut all through all that because of who I am. And once they get to hear where I've come from, um, it's even more of an uplift for them to be able to see somebody like myself who has basically been, have been in the same situation that they are in where it looks like there is no hope and there is nobody around that cares for me. It seems like they're always getting to run around. Who do I trust? And and I've been there. And for them to be able to see somebody like myself be standing in front of them, successful and able to do the things that I did with the same issues and problems that they have, all of a sudden you see a light go on in their hand like there's hope. Yeah, man, that's got to give them hope when they see you come from the same kind of situation and what you achieved and everything. That's pretty awesome. That you're doing that with the kids, and I know there's a lot of kids that are living in a lot of tough things right now, so to bring that message, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's our passion. All right, man, I think we have a thing that we do here called, uh, it's just something real quick we call kind of like the hustling around where I ask some questions that don't really make any sense most of the time, but we just kind of get you to ask, uh, answer the quickest thing that kind of pops in your head. Sure. All right. Patriots or Seahawks? Patriots. All right, that's my team. Nick Diaz or Anderson Silva? Question mark. <laughs> Who's really coming to the fight? Yeah. That's going to be an interesting one. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's going to be good. What about WWE or WCW? WWE. All right. Hey, your favorite food? <laughs> Sushi. Sushi, all right. This one's a tough one. Shamrock or Diaz Brothers? Shamrock Brothers. <laughs> that's right, man. <laughs> all right. Hey, you got any favorite music you like to work out to? Um, yeah, actually I do, man. I love rock and roll and I love the nineties. The nineties rock, man. I love it. Oh, cool, cool, yeah, me too. Hey, what about your favorite submission? I know you've talked a little bit about it earlier. Oh, he'll hook. All right, uh I think that's about everything we have for you. I, I do want to talk uh, real quick about your bare knuckles thing one more time. We definitely want to check that out, so uh, I guess we'll be looking forward to seeing when that's going to be out there. That's going to be insane. Is that, and you said it's going to be in a, a hexagon, is that what you said? Yeah, they're going to have a hexagon. I guess there's six corners or something like that. And um, it's going to be, I believe it's, I'm not sure, but I thought maybe they mentioned May. I know people were talking okay. about April, but I believe it's going to be in May. But again, like I said, I'm not sure about that. 
But once it's once it's once they get the venue set, because there's a couple of venues vying for the fight. Uh, once they get that set, then they'll they'll actually have a date. Um, but I do want to say this: that I am actually training for this fight, and I want the fans to be able to go on this journey with me. So what we're doing is, is that on my website, kenshamrock.com, there's a blog on there, and you can read about my training. There's pictures. There's videos. There's me talking about my training. And you can go onto my contact page on my website and you can actually leave comments after you read the blog and watch the videos. And you can make comments on what you think about my training. And um, we'll actually be talking with you, myself, be talking with you. Because um, I, I want this to be, you know, I don't have too many fights left and I realize that. Um, so I really want my last couple fights to be um, very entertaining for my fans and I want them to be involved with this journey. And so I think this is probably the um, from, from what I can really think of and do would be the best way to get them more involved with what I'm doing and that's by doing a weekly blog so they can see pictures and videos and, 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 and then have an opportunity to read what I'm writing on my training that week and then they have comment, have a, an opportunity to be able to comment and me be able to comment back with them. So I can't share my I go to the blog, and then if you want to leave a comment about my training or what I'm doing, go to the contact page, and you can make your comments from there. All right, man, that sounds really cool. That'd be interesting to keep an eye on that and see how that goes also, man. For sure, it's going to be cool. Hey, man, I really want to thank you very much, man. You've been a hero and a legend, and the sport wouldn't even be, probably wouldn't even be around if it wasn't for people like yourself, man. It's been incredible to watch you through your career and just how you just take on any opponent. I wish you the best, man. I hope we can talk to you again after your fight and, and kind of get an update on how things are going. And, man, we just want to tell you again, thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us. Well, I listen, you guys. I appreciate you having me on. It's always a blessing to be able to speak with people who support me over the times and also be able to um, mingle with the fans. Appreciate it much. You are the Godfather. Thank All you, right. man. Thank you. All right, All right bro. Thanks. Thanks. All right, that's the show, straighthustling.com. That was the world's most dangerous man we just talked to, badass Ken Shamrock. We're going to look for his pay-per-view event coming soon. Uh, Mike, go ahead and tell him about the new uh, people we got coming out. Oh, uh, we got the king of conservative talk radio, Phil Valentine. He's going to be here. After that, we got Comedy Central and Showtime comedian Ali Sadiq. And then the Reverend Jesse Lee Petersons. And uh, he's from the, uh, Fox News all the time, so we're, we can't wait to see him. And then we got a comedy powerhouse, Ralphie May. We're sure he's going to come by. And then we got North Carolina's favorite son, Todd Riley. We can't wait to hear from this young comedian. If you've got any questions for our upcoming guests, just leave it on our website in our comment section. And with our uh, website information, here's Stu. What's happening, Stu? Oh, man, it's been an awesome day. And be sure to check out our website. It's www.straightstr8hustling.com. Hey, be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher. They're also available on our website. All our social media links are there. Hey, folks, be sure to hit us up in the comments section. That's the best way for us to see what questions you want asked. All right, we want to thank you all again for listening to StraightHustling.com. We're going to be getting some T-shirts out there soon so you can get your pimp on, be looking just like us. And uh, thank you for listening. Subscribe to our podcast. If you ain't hustling, you ain't living. Yeah. Yeah.